to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writing, he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you worthy? Are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? Do you not know that we're going to judge the angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, Do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. is, Is it so that there's not even a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? A brother goes to law against a brother, and that even before unbelievers. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be defrauded? No, you yourselves do wrong and you defraud and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the Bible says the two shall become one flesh in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. But he who is joined to the Lord is one with him. So flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So Paul's writing, as he's writing here in chapter 6, he's talking about um, you know, another failure of the church. Another failure of the church is this. They're, they're bringing... A lawsuits one to another and, and they're suing one another in the church and they think it's okay they think it's, it's perfectly permissible to just start bringing frivolous lawsuits one to another and Paul says it's just a shame to you that you can't work out your differences within the body 
And, and I, I wish you were all here last week to hear what we talked about. I don't have time to get into that. But the issue that we have here before us today is that Paul is, if you recall, when we started the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, it, it's a little bit of a misnomer because the book of 1 Corinthians, there's actually three letters that Paul has written to the Corinthians. In fact, he will reference in this letter, the second book of Corinthians, or the first book of Corinthians, he'll reference a letter that he wrote prior to. We don't know where that letter is. No, that letter has never been found. And so, in all actuality, 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians. Why is that important? Oh, it's important for this today. Because here's the situation before us. We have Paul having to go back and clarify himself. There was a time as Paul was there, and you remember Paul spent you know, anywhere from a year and a half to three years here in Corinth, ministering to this church, establishing a church, and growing up a church and maturing a church. Can you imagine having Pastor Paul as your, as your, your, your main pulpit teaching on a week-by-week basis? That would blow my mind. He's like one of my heroes of the faith, man. I would love to sit under this guy and hear what he would have to say. But it wasn't always the case. In fact, there were times where Paul says, Hey, I don't have anybody around me. I am, I am frightfully alone. There are so many that have abandoned me. And you think, the Apostle Paul? Really? Yeah. Well, here's the thing about Paul. Paul is going back and he's clarifying some things because there's something here that he says, you know, here in verse uh, uh, 12 and, 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 and he moves on from there. He goes, hey, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. There's a time, I'm sure that when he began his church uh, there in Corinth and in the letter that he wrote, he was there and he was talking about the liberty that we have in Christ. When I come to Christ, When I become a Christian, when I truly am saved, I have acknowledged that Jesus Christ has died on a cross for me, that I am utterly and hopelessly lost. I am destined for hell. And then God enters from stage right, and He enters into mankind. And he lives among men for three and a half years. And then he dies, not for himself, but for you and I. He dies on a cross to pay a penalty that he did not owe to save a person, a people, a you, who he didn't owe either. He didn't owe it to you either. It was not necessary that, that he would have to go. He didn't have to go. It was his love that caused him to go to the cross. But if he didn't go, you and I would still be in our sins. We'd have to answer for our sins before a holy God. So in that case, it was necessary. If Jesus, if God, if the Holy Spirit loved us so much, he gave himself for us. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ and he died on a cross innocently because he was the innocent lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, for you and I. 
It was what constrained him. It's what nailed him to the cross. We sometimes look at the Romans and go, oh, the Romans are the ones that nailed him to the cross. Or it was the Jews' fault. It was the religious Jews' fault. He's, they're the reason why he went to the cross. You know why he went to the cross? You and I and me and we and all of us, we're the ones that caused him to go to the cross. Is it a little chilly in here? I'm thinking that people were chilly, so we can turn it up a little bit. I've got all the gals are getting up and putting something on here. Why is it that guys don't get cold? Or we do get men. We do get cold and we just aren't. What's that? What did you say? She said we have no feelings. We have no feelings. Wow. Uh, you know, the sanctification process is holding me back from saying anything right now. Thank you, Jesus. Um, you know, here's the thing. Listen, he died on a cross for you and I. He loved us that much that he would do that. And I know that that might be a message you go, yeah, okay, I mean, I hear that all the time. Don't ever get tired of hearing that. I remember back in Bible college, a friend that was actually a bunkmate of mine. He told me, I'm tired of all the devotions of people talking about the cross of Christ. I thought, okay, number one, you're in Bible college. (laughs) And you're tired of hearing about the cross of Christ. Don't you understand that that is the actual nail? That's the actual center point of our Christianity. That's the center point of our life. That's the center. That's the anchor that we hold on to for eternal life. That's all that we have to hope on. And you're tired of it? Don't ever get tired of the cross of Christ. Don't ever get tired of the cross of Christ. Don't ever get tired of hearing about the suffering that Christ went and had to endure on a cross for you and for me. He went there because he loved you. He went there because he loved me. He went there because he saw you and I in our hopeless estate. We were going to hell. And there was no getting around it. We would never be able to. Jesus never would have come if any of us would have ever been able to talk our way into heaven or prove our way into heaven. It's impossible. The Bible says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We're all confined under that. But it was that purpose and that reason that Jesus came to die for you and I. And so, Paul, his teaching the Corinthians, as I'm teaching you, in his time that he was there, maybe in his very first letter that we don't have, and I'm now speculating a little bit, but he's clarifying what it is that he did say and what they understand him to say. So somewhere along the line, he shared with them, when you're in Christ, there's nothing that can separate you. I, you might fall, you might sin. Christ is there to catch you. Christ is there to forgive you. There's nothing that is against you. There's nothing that can keep you from heaven. There's nothing. Nothing makes me righteous other than Jesus Christ. Nothing makes me unrighteous because I have placed on Christ. And so, therefore, I can do all things. It doesn't matter what I do. 
Christ forgives that sin. Christ forgives that. Well, now Paul's coming back in and he's going, okay, now you've all misunderstood how much or what it was that I was saying. He says, of course all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'm not to be brought under the power of any of them. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the food. That's your argument? He's dealing with sexual immorality that is running rampant in the church of Corinth and that is running rampant in the church in America today. He's saying, you say it's okay. It's okay for me to do these things. He addresses sexual immorality a few different times, even up to this point. Chapter 5, he, he addressed a sexual, immoral, sexual immorality and, and especially one specific issue. And then he breaks into brothers suing brothers. And he's going, do you not get it? Do you not understand? That's not what we do in the church. That's not what Christ died for us for. So that we can be free to sue each other. So that we can be free to go and, and, and do anything that we want with our bodies. And now he begins to, to take the, 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 taking it from the issue of you know, going to court. And he moves it right back into sexual immorality which is running rampant in the church. He says, I'm going to back up a little bit. He says, you yourselves in verse 8, you do wrong and you defraud and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so don't be deceived. The word deceived in the Greek is planeo. It literally means to wonder or to cause someone else to wonder. To wander away, to go astray, to lead someone astray. To seduce someone to follow your way, away from the truth. Don't be deceived. You're teaching by you being deceived and teaching others, hey, Paul said it was okay for us to do anything. And so here's what we're going to do. We can eat anything, because he said we can eat pork. We can eat, we can eat pulled pork. Right? Amen. Yes, we can, amen. I always thought it's kind of funny, you know, on Easter. Easter is kind of typically in the United States. It, the, the main meal is ham, right? I mean, you go, well, like, we're like really exercising our, uh, our, our liberty on that day, you know, that's awesome. But, but, you know, it didn't used to be where pork used to be an unclean meat. But you remember Jesus talking to Paul? or to Peter, I'm sorry, and the sheet comes down and all these unclean animals, what I have called clean, you shall no longer call unclean. And, and so we have a freedom to eat pork. And Paul's saying, let's not get hung up on it, man. Food is food. It's not going to make you holy or make you unholy. All right? The food that you put in your stomach, you're hungry, you feed it. 
Don't ask whether the thing's offered to idols. Don't ask whether it's, it's you know, what kind of meat. If, just if it's put before you, go ahead and eat it. Eat it with liberality. Eat it. Enjoy life. Enjoy your freedom and liberty that you have in Christ. Now stick with me here because here's the thing. They took that mentality, and that's what Paul's saying. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. All things are lawful for me, I won't, but I won't be brought under the power of any. Here's the thing. You're willing to eat. You, you understand that you can eat anything, but you're taking that mentality and you're taking it over to the sexual side of your life. You're taking this and you're saying, well, wait a minute. I have male parts. I have female parts, maybe. I don't, but, you know. <laughs> you got to be careful when you're up here. Here's the thing. <laughs> And I have needs, a person would say. This person that Paul's talking to, I have urges. And you said everything's lawful for me. I, I mean, what used to not be right is okay. We can eat whatever foods we want. And he's saying, this is, this is your mentality? You're going to take... Me saying that you can eat whatever food you want and, and do it freely and, and, and still be walking with the Lord and having a great time because it's lawful for you to do it. But you're now tra- taking that argument over to I'm going to indulge in any form of sex that I want to indulge in because I have urges and I have parts and I want the parts to be used when I have an urge. And Paul says, that doesn't make any sense. You've, you've not, you've not, it doesn't translate to that. It doesn't work that way. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 9, don't be deceived. Don't, and don't let, don't lend others or lead others astray by your way of thinking. Hey, if it feels good, do it. Paul says, do you really think that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross so that you can sign your name or or verbally sign your name by having Christ come in and believe that Jesus died on the cross? Only for you to continue to go out and live your life the way that those who are not going to go to heaven, how they live their life, so that it's okay for you to go and live your life that way? There's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect. Really, did Jesus suffer and die on a cross so that we can continue to remain in sin? Of course not. And that's what Paul's getting to here. He's saying, don't you understand? Don't you know? Fornicators are not going to go to heaven, man. Idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers nor extortioners. None of them are going to inherit the kingdom of God. But you have some sense of liberty that you can continue to do those things? You think, you think you've got a free pass because you've accepted Christ in your heart? You can continue to do those things? That God's cool with it? That God's all right with you doing that? Paul says, absolutely not. This is not, you've, you've, met, you've had a disconnect here. And you can't use the argument of, but It used to be that I couldn't eat pork, but now I can. He says, food's for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God is going to destroy both it and them. The food and the stomach, it's going to be gone. 
But the body is not for sexual immorality, he says there in verse 13, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up by his power. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Are you getting what I'm saying? He says, certainly not. No. No, don't make that connection. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? Don't you know that if you go and sleep with somebody, you become that one with that person? For the two shall become one flesh. Paul uses a reference from Genesis chapter 2. But he who is joined to the Lord, he is one spirit with the Lord. How can you be one spirit with the Lord and one spirit with a harlot? Or one spirit with the Lord or one spirit with your affair? Because we don't like to use harlot because that's... Or, or male prostitute, you know? Affairs sound so much easier. Here's the thing. It sounds so much more quaint. No, it doesn't. It's ugly. It's an, it's an offense before God. It's an offense before the life that He's called you and I to live. Paul just he just he just says, I'm gonna just spell it out to you. Flee sexual immorality, period. Drop the mic, I'm going home. Alright? Every sin that a man does out is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality, he sins against his own body. What are you doing? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? I'm going to explain this even more as he continues on. He says, you were purchased. You were bought at a price. What was the price? It was the blood that Christ shed for you. Therefore, glorify God who purchased you. Glorify him in your body and in your spirit because they both belong to him. Right? I, there's so much that I, I can be teaching in here and so many things I want to share here. You know, looking at this fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revelers, extortioners. What are those things? We think we know what they are. We, it seems like we know just by reading what they are. I'm going to very quickly go through a quick definition of some of these, of every one of these things. Fornicators. Greek word is pornos. It's one who sexually sells himself for gain. It's a male prostitute. It's a person who, uh, uh, the Greeks would consider one who prostituted himself for gain as a pornos. Or pornos. A fornicator. An idolater. It's derived from two different words. One meaning uh, idol. The other meaning meaning uh, worshiper. We know it in this nation as American. 
idol. It's, it's we worship things. What, what is an idol? Here's what an idol is. An idol is literally an object of dis- extreme devotion. What is the, your object of extreme devotion in your life? Yeah, ask yourself that question. An object of extreme devotion. What do you devote yourself to? What is it that you devote yourself to? Not one hour a week or two hours. You go, one hour? You wish it was one hour here in this church, Pastor Don. No, it's two hours. We're here two hours. Okay, all right. Well, we're here two hours. So you think two hours a week is extreme devotion? Shoot, you'll pay 15 bucks to go down and watch Batman and Superman for two and a half hours. I won't tell you who wins. Nathan and I watched it. (laughs) But here's the thing. Be careful not to just say what you think a pastor would say, would want you to say, or, or say the thing that you think that God wants you to say. Because here's the thing. God knows our hearts. He knows your life. He sees you in the dark. He knows what your extreme devotion is, is all about. He knows what you, what you devote yourself to. Well, I'm not an idol worshiper. Well, if you have anything in your life that you're devoted to more than the Lord, you have an idol. Man, I know that that's a tough thing to hear. But you know what? I don't want to sugarcoat Christianity anymore. I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. Idol. Adulterers, he says. Adulterers. Moikos in the Greek. It literally refers to any type of sexual immorality or unfaithfulness. But there's also another form of that. Well, let me just read that again. It it refers to any type of sexual immorality and or unfaithfulness. Any form. But there's a spiritual application to it also. Literally, it's one who is unfaithful towards God. We think of the most popular form of adultery when one spouse cheats on the other, whether it be sexually, whether it be emotionally, whether it be through affection given to another, you know, opposite sex or same sex, I don't know. But cheating on your spouse, adultery. But there's a form of adultery that is spiritual adultery. This is when we sin with the world. This is when we are unfaithful to God through a fascination and an intimacy with the world. This is spiritual adultery. When we dive ourselves into the world and we, be, we envelop ourselves with the things of the world that are opposite of what Christ would have us to be. Think of your own life right now, of the things that you enter into that you never would go if Christ was in the passenger seat with you. But understand this, if you're a Christian, he's going with you anyways, because he is in you. So where you go, what you do, what you put into your mind, what you put in through the, through the, 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 the eyes, your windows to your soul, know this, Christ is there. He's watching, he's there, he's, he's with you. 
When you do that, you're committing adultery on the Lord. Okay? Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 says, how, uh, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Righteousness actually lodged in it. But now, murderers. You've committed adultery. God is saying to Israel, you've committed adultery with me because of your murderous acts. Is there anything sexual nature of that? No. Oh, it could be. But it's not just in the form of sexual, in, in a form of a sexual nature. It's in the form of anything that becomes unfaithful towards God. James, he actually just calls it out. He calls it for what it is. You know this verse, James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. Who is he talking to? <laughs> He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who are reading his letter. And he's saying, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? You know just what James just said? The Holy Spirit is jealous for you and me. And when we cheat on the Lord with the world, just like if my wife, no, I'm going to put it the other way around because I don't even want to put that there. If I cheat on my wife, it's going to devastate her. As it would devastate me if she cheated on me. Spiritually though, when we are walking with the Lord, we're saying, well, ah, he'll forgive me. He'll forgive me. It's cool. He'll forgive me. That's what he died for. Can you imagine me coming home and saying, Hey, honey, I, I, I know you saw me with another woman. But, you know, we're married, right? You'll forgive me. I might be able to see you in about two weeks. Because my eyes might just about, the swelling might go down just enough to where I can open my eyes just a little bit. My wife isn't going to put up with that. Why is it that we think that if in a marriage relationship we won't put up with it, that God's cool with it? Do you understand what I'm saying here? This is not a... Would you like to be up here and give this message? This is not a fun message to give. Uh, You're all hating me right now. Because you know why? Every one of us have in our hearts some things that we know, oh man, I've been blowing it. There's some things in my life I need to get rid of. There's some things in my life I don't want to get rid of. I don't want to get rid of it. And you know what? I don't like being convicted and I don't like being told. Well, if I don't tell you, who will? Your friends that you have around you right now? That continue to allow you to go down that road? At what point are you going to allow someone in your life to say, hey, stop doing what you're doing if it's apart from Christ. If you're sleeping with the world, you're committing adultery on God. Stop it. Stop. Just stop it. That's tough. Homosexuals. Next word down. Malakos. Literally, if you have a King James Version Bible, it's called effeminate. They don't call it homosexual. They call it effeminate. The word there is is, uh, malakos in the Greek. It literally means soft to the touch or one who allows himself to be sexually abused contrary to nature. 
And then I'm going to move to the next word, which is sodomite. Sodomites is, uh, uh, and if you, you have the King James Version, it's abusers of themselves. They're abusers of themselves with mankind. So a sodomite is an abuser of himself with mankind. It's a man who lies in bed with another male. Now, I don't want to get too graphic here, and I know that we can be very ugly here in this kind of a situation. But these two words, the homosexual and the sodomite, or the effeminate and the abuser of themselves with mankind, are words that are right next to each other. For the effeminate is the one who receives, and the sodomite is the one who actually gives. I hate to say it that way, but that was a practice back in the olden, back in the Roman days. It was perfectly acceptable for you as a Roman man to show your dominance upon, you know, especially a military victory. Same thing with the Grecians. To actually go and have sex with a man, but never receive it. I know that that sounds ugly. As I have folks walking out here going, what did they talk about in there? (laughs) Here's the thing. I say that, and I am graphic there, because you think it's bad today? It was bad then too. It was bad then too. And the church, which was very young, was having to navigate through what was an accepted practice. Right? We're having to navigate through some pretty difficult waters today, aren't we? How do we handle it? Well, Paul says, I want you to understand, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so here we, here we are. Okay, let's bash down on them. Stop it. Stop it. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners. Let me, let me just go through those you know, uh, uh, descriptions or definitions very quick. Thieves is a word, kleptis, which literally means one who steals by fraud and in secret. One who doesn't care to instruct men truthfully, but they abuse their confidence for their own gain. So here's a person who oftentimes sounds like a politician, doesn't it? I will promise you what you need to hear, but I have no intent on following through on my promise. I just need you to to vote for me, to get me into power, because I need power. I need wealth. And I know right now we're kind of in a political season right now. And not all politicians are like that, but unfortunately, we've kind of come to come, come, come to be uh, ingrained with this idea that a lot of politicians will say what they need to say in order to make you satisfied, but many times they don't follow through with what it is that they say that they're going to, that they've promised you once they get what they went to you with that promise for. That is a thief, according to Paul. And Paul says, they're not inheriting the kingdom of God. Let's go on real quick. Covetous. This is one who is eager to have more, especially to have something that belongs to someone else. This is greedy for gain. We all know people like that, right? Drunkards. I'm going to let you come up with that definition. Drunk and intoxicated. That's just it. It's a person that just gets drunk all the time, obliterated, gets, gets out of their brain, gets drunk. Doesn't just always get obliterated out of their brain, but constantly is living in a tipsy, tipsified effect, you know? 
That's my word today. I want you to go home and study that word. Tipsified. Extortion, or no, I'm back one word. Revelers. This is one who is very critical or insulting. This is one who is abusive or hostile in his speech. This is one who spreads mean things about another in order to damage them. Reveler. That's a reveler. Extortioner. This is one who is greedy to almost an animalistic nature as a wolf. Think of Wolf from Wall Street. Never watched the movie? I've heard some things about it. Kind of sounds like what this guy is. What, this is. what this is talking about. One who is greedy to an almost animalistic nature as a wolf who will secretly steal and do it deliberately. This is one who robs publicly. It's an extortioner. He does it right under your nose. So, I say this. Before I go on, and, and I've got just a couple more minutes, but here's the thing. We, in our society right now, in the church, we're having a hard time with this whole issue of homosexuality. We really like to harp on homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin, and it needs to be dealt with. But I don't see people picketing extortioners' homes. I don't see people picketing drunks' homes. I don't see people picketing those homes of people who are critical and, and, and mean-natured. Down with mean-natured. Down with mean-natured. You know, down with mean-natured. God hates mean-natured guys, you know. I guess maybe the Westboro Baptist Church would do something like that. I, I've never seen a picket sign that said that, though. It's always focused on homosexuality. Because that's a buzzword in our society today. Can I just tell you this? Sin is sin is sin. We've got to get rid of the sin. We can't indulge in the sin. Here's the thing. Can we ever perfectly get rid of the sin? No, we can't. We're living in imperfect bodies. But we have a Christ that paid the penalty for our sin. Grace does it doesn't what it what it affords is us to not receive what we deserve. We deserve death, hell, and punishment. But through God's mercy and grace, we find forgiveness. Now Going back to this very ugly illustration. If I cheat on my wife and somehow and somewhere along the road she forgives me. Because she forgives me, does it give me the right to go out and do it again? In fact, does it even give me does it even give me a proper mindset? Would you even think that a person has a proper mindset if they go, well, you know what? She forgave me, so it's okay for me to do it again. And so I'm going to go and sleep with another woman and tell her about it. And, and ask her for forgiveness again, because she'll do it again. And, and Jesus said to Peter, Peter said, how many times do I forgive those who sin against me? Up to seven times? 
Jesus says, no, I say 70 times 7. 490 times? Are you serious? Yeah, honey, remember that? 490 times. So every time I sin against you with someone else by committing adultery, you've got to forgive me. At what point does it become ingenuous? At what point does my asking for forgiveness to my wife become ingenuous? Now, please don't hear me say that you struggle, you slip, you fall, you run to Jesus and you ask for forgiveness. And you struggle and slip and fall on the same issue again somewhere down the road. And it could actually even be that very same day and you run back to the Lord. The idea is is that you don't do it because you can do it. And that's what these guys are thinking that they can do. All things are lawful for me. Paul says that is not what was intended. What's intended is a life that is completely separated from you. You, It's no longer about you. It's no longer about your whims and your wants and your desires. Now it's about what God wants through your life. Because here's the thing. You and I, we might look at that and go, well, that's not fair because I have a lot of wants and desires. Well, when you surrender your heart to Christ, do you really think that the creator of the universe is going to give you a dull and boring life? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to learn how to play a harp. I think I'm going to have to I think I'm going to have to just be something that I never want to be boring. I want excitement in my life. I want you to come back on May 1st for my friend Chet Lowe. And I want you to hear a story. I'm going to, I, I, and then I want you to ask yourself again, does he live a boring life? And I think not. Here's the thing. You've been bought with a price. It's no longer about you. It's, it's not about... It's not about you pointing out things in people's lives and sin sniffing. The idea is is that, guys, our lives are to be wrapped up in Christ. There is this this idea of cheap Christianity that's out there. I went forward at a crusade one time and I gave my heart to Christ. And then you watch that person's life for the rest of their life and you know what? Nothing has changed in their life. Are they saved? Only God knows, but if we look at what the Word of God says, you continue to practice in these things and you continue to walk down these roads. This is the character of your life. No, you're not going to. You're not going to heaven. You never had that true commitment in your life. I don't know, but it sure does give me cause for concern for your eternal life. If you can just freely continue to sin with no remorse, without any offense to your own spirit saying, man, what did I do? I did it again. Lord, forgive me. God, help me to not fall in that again. God, I don't want to go down that road. Now, there might be some earthly consequences to your sin, but eternally, the Lord goes, a broken and a contrite spirit, I will not turn away. A humble heart that comes before me. I'm not going to turn that away. Yeah, I forgive you. I forgive you. Not that he's going to forgive you of your sin. Even though our salvation was free, and I've got to hurry with this, even though our salvation is free, 
We didn't have to purchase it, but we simply receive it from the one, Jesus, who purchased our salvation himself through his extraordinary payment of his shed blood on, for us on the cross. Even though our salvation was free, it was not cheap. It cost Jesus everything that he had. Cheap. Think about it. I love Harbor Freight. Any of you guys know Harbor Freight? Guys probably would know it a whole lot more than gals. It's a place for tools, man. And guys, if you love tools uh, and you want them cheap, go to Harbor Freight. Here's the thing. I have to stay away from actually that store unless I absolutely have to go in there because I can really hurt myself in that store. I can hurt my family in that store. I go in there, and, and a lot of you guys know that outside of the pulpit, I'm a handyman. One of the things, I'll give you for instance, I had to paint about 130 feet of stain, 130 foot of a wooden fence one time. And I have a painter. I want to use this painter. I went down to Harbor Freight. They had a deal on a $19.99 electric spray paint thing, painter. They had a deal on it. It was $19.99. It was actually cut down to $14.99, and I had a 20% discount on it. I got the thing for $11.99. Paint 130 feet, and that's tough doing, you know, this and down and this and down. 130 feet, both sides, uh, you know, on both sides of the yard and what have you. You get it all done, get it all, it looks great. What do you think I'm doing to that tool after I'm done with it? Huh? Throw it away. I'm not cleaning that tool. I am not going to clean that tool. It's going to take me two hours to clean that tool. For 12 bucks, guess what happened to that tool? It's somewhere buried up in the Osprey area. I throw it away. Why? It's cheap. Was it necessary? Did I need it at the time? Yeah, I needed it at the time, but it's cheap. I threw it away. Now, I have another painter cost me somewhere between 150 180 bucks i couldn't remember for the study couldn't remember how much it was and i didn't have time to go and look and find what i paid for it but somewhere between 150 180 bucks for a painter i could have used that and done it painted everything would have looked pretty much the same for that kind of a job what do you think i would do after i got done with that i'd clean it So would it be safe and correct for me to say that I treat one differently than the other because of the value that I place on both pieces? See where I'm going with this? The manner in which I live my life in light of my view, in light of the, my view of my own faith, of the faith that Christ has given to me, of my walk with Jesus, my relationship with God, my Christianity that I'm trying to live out, it's based on the value that I place on my salvation and relationship that I have with God through Jesus Christ. It didn't cost me anything to become a Christian. I simply received a free gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I received that free gift. Was it cheap? No. Cost God everything. Did it cost me anything? Cost me nothing. What is the value that I place upon that act? What is the value that I place upon my relationship with the Lord? 
Look around the church. Ask the question, not just this church, but the church as a whole in America, in the world. Even if you were to look at yourself in the mirror and ask this question, does the my manner, does my manner of living support the idea and definition of cheap Christianity? Do I place a value, a high value upon my relationship with Christ? When we come to Christ, there's a change that happens within us. It's called a radical change. There's some that are married in this room. What happened to you on the day that you said your vows and exchanged your rings? What happened to you? No, your life was not over. Come on. What happened to you? Somebody. You don't know? What? You became one. You ceased being single. You ceased being single, right? When you ceased being single, things radically changed in your life. Guys, no more Chuck Norris artwork on your front room walls, right? No more of that. No more sleeping on your bed wherever you wanted to. The day that I got married to my wife, my father-in-law Dick said, Hey, Tonight, you need to choose which side of the bed you're going to sleep on. Because from now on, that's where you're going to sleep for the rest of your life. That was one of the wisest things I heard on my wedding day. And you know how true it was. It was so true. No, no more living life whimsically where, where you can come home whenever you feel like it. Right, guys? You couldn't do that. You spend your money on that jet ski that you're going to use a total of three times because it was an awesome deal that, that you know, the salesman said. Just 199 bucks for, you know, per month for six decades. It was awesome. You, no more of those stupid decisions. Something radically changed in your life, guys, when you got married. Gals, what changed in your life? Nothing. Uh, nothing. <laughs> I've been married for 21 years. I know when to hold them. I know when to fold them. Know that this is not a hill I want to die on today, okay? You were married. No, my, my, my wife never had to change anything. Listen, there's something else that changed in our life. My wife didn't need to change anything. She, she's perfect. Right? That's right. I meant that as a as a as a as a blessing to you. I guess it may come out a different way. I just, <laughs> there was nothing you had to change. Right? <laughs> That's why I love my my assistant pastor Kevin. He knows where to what to say. Now there was something else that changed the day that you got married. What do you think it was? What else do you think it was? This is real simple. But we're overlooking it right now. There was something else that changed the day that you got married. What was it? Your heart. Huh? Your heart. Your heart? For sake of time, I don't have time for you to come up with guesses. My privacy? <laughs> oh, there's a lot we could go down on this road. Man, I'm telling you. You know what you cease doing? You cease trying to find a mate. Right? You found a mate. You found a mate. You found, you found a mate and you, 
You better have at least stopped looking for a mate. Okay, I'm losing y'all. Let me just sum it up with this. Listen, your life radically changed when you got married. So too with you and your spiritual life when you came to Christ. Your life changed. It no longer, it ceased to be about you and it started to be about Christ. You, you, you cease trying to find a relationship. You cease trying to find fulfillment in the world because you'll find it in Christ. You cease trying to find the mate of the world because you have found a mate in Christ. <laughs> Our life is, is wrong if we're seeking out for fulfillment in the world when we have Christ, who is the creator of everything that we are, everything that we ever espouse or hope to be. He has ingrained and created within us. He's given us the inspiration. He knows what makes us happy. He knows what makes us sad. He knows what fulfills the deepest lack in our soul. He knows what makes us content. Why would we seek after something that is fallen and that is going to be passing away when we have a relationship with the Lord? And that's what Paul's getting to. Do you not know that you were bought with a price? It's no longer about you. He paid for you. He bought you. You once walked according to the prince of the power of the world, he says in Ephesians chapter 2. You once were dead according to your sins. You once were, were under the and under the power of the prince of this earth who is Satan but God who is rich in his mercy while we were still dead in our trespasses and said sin he made us alive together in Christ he rose you to, de- to life I know I spent a little extra time here today guys but I'm finishing this study right here and it's important for us to know guys Paul is saying Check your life. Look at your life. Check your Christianity. Check your relationship with the Lord. Check it. This is a hard message to give. I didn't want to just give part of it and not finish it off here. Guys, he says, when I was a child, something changed in me. He says, and we'll get to it in chapter 13. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When I was in the world, I spoke as the world. I did as the world. I followed the world. But when I came to Christ, I no longer was under the spell of the world. And then he finishes, I finish up with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul will eventually get to his third letter to the Corinthians. And he says, I want you right now, I want you to examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you're disqualified. Here's the point. Are you living in Christ? Are you free in Christ? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Seek no other. But does your life constantly in the world... Are you constantly being only propelled to the things of the world? And God is an afterthought... God is an afterthought. Your relationship with God is not even a deterring effect in whether you follow something or enter into something. You don't even consider to think about the Lord. I'm going to ask here, maybe you need to look in the mirror and ask, am I actually even saved? 
am I wasting my time going to church? Am I spending all this time going to church and wasting all this time that I could be out jet skiing on that jet ski? Or is my life just way, way, way out of balance? Is my life not right with God? One of the reasons why I think that the church is pretty ineffective today is because the people in the church, I don't know that we're living our life the way that Christ had called us to live them. We're living in Corinth. And we're accepting into the church the things of Corinth. And instead of affecting the world, the world is affecting us. And guys, as Christians, we've got to step up. And let Christ rule and reign in our life. Remember your marriage to the Lord. Remember that. I've counseled couples, my wife and I have counseled couples whose marriage is on the rocks and is going out the window. And one of the things that we will get to fairly quickly, we'll make a beeline to this one place in that first discussion, and that will be, do you remember when you gave your heart to one another in marriage? Do you remember how much you loved this person? Do you remember what you were willing to give to have that person's hand in marriage for the rest of your life? It's the reason that Jesus talks about it in Ephesians, or in Revelation chapter 2. To the church of Ephesus, you guys, you're doing all the things. You're going through the motions of being a church. The one thing you've left, the one thing I have against you is that you've left your first love. You forgot what it was. You forgot your relationship. So therefore, I counsel you, remember from where you fell, repent, and go back and do the things that you did in the beginning. It's the greatest counsel that you can give a couple on the rocks. It's the greatest counsel you can give to a Christian on the rocks. Remember your first love and get back to that place. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. I know I took a lot of extra time. I am so thankful for the patience of just these saints, these precious, precious saints. Lord, this was a tough message. It's a difficult message. But it was... a a freeing message, I pray, for every one of us. I pray, God, that there's not one person that walks out of here condemned. That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is maybe conviction. Conviction to say, hey, I'm not going to be satisfied with the world anymore. I'm going to be called to a higher ground. I'm being called to a higher ground. I'm being called by my pastor to say, step up, come on, man. Christ has more for you. Don't settle for less. I'm not only being called by him, but God, I'm being called by you. And so right now, God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room right now, that this is where their life is. They're on the rocks. They're looking back five years, ten years, twenty years. Maybe they've been a Christian for even longer than that or shorter than that, but they look back in the past and they go, I, I don't even remember what it was like to be on fire for Christ. I don't even remember what it was like to be excited because I had a relationship with God. I, I don't ever remember even having that excitement. God, I pray. God, God, I pray, God, that you 
would touch their hearts. Let them know and experience your love at this time. God, you're not there to beat them down. You're there to welcome them home. As the prodigal son came down the road, the father whose son had been astray for such a long time. The only time we ever see in Scripture where a picture of God is running is when one of his children have turned and come back to him. It's when the father picked up his robes and he started running to his kid and saying, I love you. Don't hurt my son. This is my son was lost. He's now found. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room right now, they've been lost. They've been out there. They've been prodigal. God, as they turn around and come back home, God, they, they find a welcoming father that is running to their arms right now and wrapping your arms around their neck and drawing you deep into his chest and saying, my son, my daughter was gone. He's home. Kill the fatted calf. There's a party. is going on because my son was lost. My daughter was lost. They're home. My hope, my dreams, they're home. God, help us to live for you. God, help us to know a family relationship with you, a relationship that we have with you. God, help us to not run astray. Help us to, when we slip, when we fall, come to you, fall upon your mercy, Lord. And, and God, just ask for forgiveness and, and then go about our life, living our life for you. Not wanting to get back into sin. Not wanting to, to test the waters of sin. God, help us to be content in our relationship with you. Show us, God, please. Enable us, empower us. God, we are never going to ask us to do something that you will not also empower us to do. So God, help us to live faithfully. Faithfully to you. Let this world see, if it's only one person that has been reached in this room, let this world see that one person. Faithfully living for you. But Lord, if it's the whole church, let us radically touch the community around us. Let us radically touch the people that we have around us in our, ha- in our homes, in our, in our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves. Lord, let it be. That's what life is, to live for you. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with